Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church. All of you that are here, as well as those at our campuses in Stevens Point and Appleton, and the thousands of people who listen to these things all around the world, which I always find rather amazing. <laughs> but uh, this is our Wednesday night Bible study where we uh, are going through the Bible one verse at a time and putting it all in context. So we're in the New Testament. We've been reading in the book of Acts, and as we're going through the book of Acts, right about every time one of the epistles was written, uh, we would go to that epistle, so we're doing it all in context, so we're seeing where they were, when it happened, the whole deal. Uh, We are now in the uh, book of Romans, we call them books, it's actually their letters, although some of these letters are more like books, (laughs) really long letters, but uh, Paul is writing to the Roman church. At the time, Paul is now on his third missionary journey He is in Corinth. While he's there, he writes to the uh, Romans, uh, planning to go and visit them. He visits them all right, but on different terms than he had planned. He winds up getting arrested when he gets to Jerusalem, and they drag him back to Rome. His initial intent was to go to uh, visit Rome and then go up into Spain to continue uh, preaching the gospel. He never makes it to Spain, as Rome is as far as he gets as, as he is martyred there. We'll get to all that in good time. But anyway, he's writing to the Roman church. It's rather interesting as you read this letter to the Romans, how much of it is absolutely just chock full of references to uh, Judaism and the Old Testament. And uh, Paul says at times, you know, I'm speaking to the Jews. So apparently there is a very large Jewish contingent, uh, if not large, certainly influential enough that he would spend so much time uh, talking to them about these things. Uh, usually in the New Testament, when you start really getting into the weeds and just uh, is having a hard time even understanding what they're talking about, is whenever they go into a big spiel about how to tie the Old Testament into the New Testament, because quite frankly, the only way to understand it is to have a very strong understanding of the Old Testament. Otherwise, it's hard. And even having that, it's still hard to trace him. We just finished his uh, big explanation about uh, the idea of predestination, something that people have debated for quite a number of centuries, Christians, the two common names on the extremes. You basically have people who believe in that everything's already predestined ahead of time. We're just basically, they wouldn't use the word puppets, but if everything's already predestined, you're kind of a puppet, right? Everything's already figured out. Uh, the Calvinists, and then the Armenians. Arminius came later, uh, not too much later than, uh, in fact, he was a student of one of Calvin's t- students. <laughs> but he got to the Romans and said, wait, this is crazy. So he pushed hard the idea of just the free will. Both concepts existed before these two fellers came along, but that's the term that you use um, most of us uh, at Celebration Church and just flat out in this part of the country because of our religious backgrounds are very heavy on the free will side of things. I personally lean much more on the free will side of things than things being already pre And there's so many different shades of gray in the middle of it. Here, we just don't get into it. I think it's one of the stupidest arguments Christians have. One of the stupidest. There's other stupid ones like the rapture arguing whether or not there is one. As if that's going to change anything. Why are you arguing about it? I think there will be. I don't think there will be. Okay. <laughs> Let's wait and see. Right? I mean, it's just stuff that people just, 
It doesn't change anything. Uh, even with this whole idea of predestination versus free will, either way, nothing changes. We still have to preach the gospel. The message Paul says has to be sent. Preachers have to be sent. People need to respond. You have to acknowledge, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. None of that changes anything. How much is already figured out ahead of time? Uh, I don't know. The truth is, now we're very big, you know, as Christians, evangelical Christians, talking about the context. You've got to read it in context. The real context that Paul even finished this, we just finished this whole thing, thank the Lord, because it makes my head spin. The context of it all was merely to explain to the Jewish believers where do things stand considering the Jewish nation. That's what all that was about. The context is uh, God had made all these promises and called the Jews the chosen people, right? We all understand that. God's got this plan for the Jews. Then all of a sudden, all these non-Jews, the church is centering around non-Jews, they're wondering, well, what happens? And Paul's basically getting into this big thing about explaining God's plan, and he's not done with the Jews, and eventually they will return, and da-da-da-da-da, and throwing all these terms. They get very, very complicated. I don't think in Paul's wildest imagination he would think we would all start arguing with each other over these things just within the Gentile community when the whole point of the debate was to explain to the Jewish community where they stood. So wherever you come down on the issue, peace be unto thee. And don't give me grief. All right. So anyway, so we finish with that. Now we get into where uh, Paul starts talking again primarily to the Gentile church just in terms that now all everything he goes from here becomes crystal clear. And I always encourage you, if you get to parts of the Bible you don't understand, just keep reading. Or skip it and, you know, come back later, you know. Don't let, because seriously, if you didn't have a really deep understanding of Jewish laws and stories and traditions, those whole chapters in the middle of Roman would have made no sense to you. I do understand these things, and it still barely made sense to me. It's it's confusing, right? I mean, it's like, you know. So don't don't let that, the good news is most of the New Testament doesn't do this. He does it in Galatians, he jumps into it. He certainly gets it big time here in Romans. Most of the time, it's straightforward. We get eventually to the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews referring to Jews. Jews are Hebrews. Uh, there's even questions about whether or not Paul wrote it. Maybe somebody else wrote it. Then you'll get back into the same kind of thing, trying to explain what he's talking about based on Old Testament. So there's a whole letter on that one. But by and large, the New Testament is crystal clear. This thing of the Christian faith is really simple. Not necessarily easy. All right? I'm still just working on love thy neighbor. All right? Very simple, not so easy. Some neighbors are very easy to love. Others, <laughs> you just walk up near them, you get your finger on the last one of 911, you know, just waiting. <laughs> what, what, see what they're going to do before you call the cops, right? So anyway, it is what it is. So we're going to pick it up now in chapter 12, verse 1, where, thanks be to God, he gets back into just very plain Christian teaching. So here we go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, nothing complicated there. Offer your bodies. Everybody say bodies. All right, that means this, 
not just what you think and not what you feel and not what you intend. There's an old, you know, so many times people, oh, oh yeah, I was going to do that. I forgot to do that. And, oh, you know, I was going to send that letter and I didn't mean it. As if that makes it okay that you didn't do it. It doesn't change anything. All that matters is what you do. What you intended to do means jack squat. It just means you are a nice intender. Right? I mean, if I'm starving and you meant to invite me to dinner, but you forgot, that doesn't help me. All right? Which, I don't have that problem, by the way. I eat too much. But anyway, so... Uh, don't, you know, there's an old phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, all right? Just because you feel it. There's a lot of Christians, seriously, their entire Christian experience is based primarily on what they think and feel. That is it. And the truth is, we got a lot of those in our church, but they're in every church, you know, uh, Rick Warren. You got in trouble on this once. but <laughs> Joe's at a church once where he mentioned Rick Warren and they just had a fit because they don't like Rick Warren. It's like, really, check your medication, for heaven's sakes. He has a, a brilliant book about uh, building churches. The, what's, what's it called? The uh, Purpose-Driven Church. And he describes church life and he says, basically, you know, you've got three big circles and then that most churches are made up, the core is your smallest group of people. These are the most dedicated people. These are the people, whether, you know, if church got, got canceled uh, for a month because of snow, blizzards, wild dogs in the parking lot, I mean, what, you know, locusts eating everything that moved, I mean, no matter, it wouldn't matter what happened, these are the people that they would still send in their financial support to the church all the time, every time, it doesn't matter. These are the people who are the most committed. These are the people who are the most dedicated. These are the people who do most of the volunteering. It's usually your smallest group of people. These are the core. Then you've got the next group. They're closer to the core, but they're still not 100%. See, our goal is to get everybody into the core. This church will change the world when we get that core. It's a big yo mama core, okay? Uh, historically, most churches are uh, really done... What's the old phrase? Old phrase: Twenty uh, percent of the people do eighty percent of the work. All right, twenty percent of the people in this church. I think it's actually a little worse than that. Give eighty percent of the money, which is sad. Not that we've got a whole bunch of people that are really rich. We don't really have a whole lot of rich people in this church, which kind of stinks. <laughs> I need some of y'all to get rich, like crazy rich. All right, like just drunken monkey rich. Seriously, but in a godly way. Somebody say amen. Right? Some of y'all in business and stuff like that. I need whatever you do at some point. It just goes crazy and you don't know what to do with all the money and you call me, praise the Lord. All right? <laughs> we need some of that. We don't have a whole lot of that. We don't have any of that that I'm aware of, okay? But, but there are churches that do have that, you know, and they do. So anyway, what's, what's unusual about this, you know, because you get that small percentage that give 80% of the money and they're not really making much more, more money than most anybody else in the church. Uh, you know, so obviously we want to grow on that. Uh, we need to get that towards 30% given to the bulk of the church, and then 40%, and then half of, you know. And there's churches that, you know, I, what's really nice is, uh, you know, we keep trying to get people to do this uh, online giving. 
and what do you call it, recurring giving. There's a lot of, and I travel all over the world, as you know, and I'm in a lot of churches. I'm, there's a lot of churches today, they never take any offerings. They never take any offerings. You go the entire thing, and everybody comes in, they do the thing, and they just leave. And I think, how do you support this place? Well, let's say like, you know, 80% of our people, online givers. Well, first of all, you got that big a chunk supporting the church versus a little. So they don't need to take offerings, all right? So people always come in, and especially non-Christians, I never confronted with an offering basket. Help me. You know what I'm saying? Because some people get ticked off every time the church asks for money and stuff. So that would be great, but we're just not there yet. We're going to eventually get there, or I'll die trying. Okay? So um, what was I talking about? I don't know. Oh, so anyway. So then, then you got the big circle. These are the people that fill this place on Sunday morning. All right? Two service, and if they all show up at the same time, which they will, Christmas Eve and on Easter, our guess is there's probably, I don't think it's a real exaggeration, there's probably 4,000 people just in Green Bay, Appleton, and Stevens Point that consider Celebration Church their home church. The bulk of it in Green Bay. I mean, we're talking thousands of people. But we don't see 4,000 people every Sunday. You know, they kind of rotate in and out. They're in the big circle. And these are the people that pretty much believe the right things and they feel the right things, but getting them to do the right things is the challenge. That's our challenge. Uh, uh, even right now, uh, whatever campus you're at, you look around and you will see these, this is much more representative of more of the core of our congregation. You get people who come on a Wednesday night. That's a big statement. Most people don't want to do that. And most people don't. I don't get mad and yell at them. We're just trying to push them in. Come on now. <laughs> get to the middle. You know, if I could start a fire on the outside, it would be great and drive them in. You know, like a, but <laughs> I don't have that option, so I don't know, I don't know how you do that. So, uh, you know, actually, that's not a bad. <laughs> that's not a bad analogy. Not that I can do that, but when there is a tragedy, like 9-11, churches were packed everywhere because that was like setting a fire and all of a sudden everybody goes running to the middle, right? Everybody shows up and they're faithful for like a week and a half. It's very impressive. And then they forget about God and as long as I feel and think, I think it's all that really matters. So the reality is, and if something really bad happens again, God forbid, our churches will swell for a while. We got, you know, ideally we got to get it so we don't have to light fires to get people to move in. That what they're just for their passion and desire for God will just continually move in, right? That, that's the goal. So anyway, if you're not physically doing something, you're not getting this. You might believe all the right things, you might say all the right prayers, you might have all the right intentions, but if you are not at some level physically giving of your time, treasure, and talent, you don't get this. And Paul says, because of God's incredible mercy that we have, we should be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. You've got to show up. You've got to do something. Uh, your time, your talent, and your treasure, because your treasure represents, right? You get paid for showing up with your bod to do something. They don't care what you think or feel either. <laughs> you know, well, I meant to come to work. Really, that's not going to fly. All right? You know, I'm really behind you guys. I just, I, you know, I just had to wash my goldfish this day and I, I couldn't get in. It's not gonna, you're going to get fired, all right? 
your, every time you give a buck, I mean, it's, it's a, the thing about money, it's not so much about money's sake, it's, it's a representation of you. Most of us will spend the bulk of our lives just making money. So we spend all day long. That's why we go, right? That's why you work. Unless you're in a, in a unique situation, most of us do what we do because we get paid to do. And the truth is, if they didn't pay us, we probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> I ain't going to go do that. I ain't going to work and I'm going to carry that and drive that truck or do whatever, you know. So, uh, so money really represents so much of your physical energy. It's that time, treasure, and talent that really starts when that is going. Now you're really offering this. And we're, not, and we're out of just, you know, what we feel and think in our heads or in our hearts. That's verse 1. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Well, that's hard. That's the other thing. That's why we encourage uh, coming to church every Sunday and coming to this Bible study on Wednesday night because the people who do this, their lives tend to be better. Why? Because by hearing God's word, they're avoiding just thinking constantly like the world thinks. You change. Don't think like the pattern of this world. You've got to do it intentionally. I promise you, the secular world is doing everything in its power to make you act and think just like them. And I promise you, they don't care that you go to church at all. You know, there's even atheists don't care for you. What do they care? They just don't care that you go to church. They think you're a little crazy. You know, you can do something else. You know, I don't care that you give money to the church. They think you're a little crazy, you know, or someone thinks you're being, you know, uh, duped or whatever. They don't care about it. And they don't care that you believe in Jesus. They don't care about any of that stuff. What ticks them off is when you act and think differently than they do. That's what fries them. Because the minute you act and think differently and don't agree with the way they act, maybe, Whatever issue they do, and they're always pushing the envelope. I mean, it never ends, right? It's one issue, and then another crazy thing, and then the next crazy thing, and, you know, just pushing these envelopes. And, uh, and that's what they do. And, you know, I try to encourage you, but don't... <laughs> I told my wife before I came here, <laughs> Christians in general, and I love them because I are one, okay? <laughs> you know, I heard a pastor say once, I really love Jesus, but his friends are just awful. Okay, meaning, meaning the people in this church. And I get what he's talking about because some of them just, they're just, some of just not the smartest people in the world. And, and the Bible actually says that, right? Paul says, look among you, he says, there's not a whole lot of really sharp people here. That's what Paul said. He says, I know it's kind of insulting, right? He says, there's not many mighty, there's not many noble, they're just kind of plain, normal. But anyway, so you get not so much up here because I think what I love about Wisconsin, uh, this isn't exactly party central because, you know, just the weather. You know, nobody wants to be here on purpose. Few people do. Okay? But what, because, you know, I, people say, where do you pastor? I say, Wisconsin. And then they look at me, you know, like I'm, I'm a starving child in Mogadishu or something, you know. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so sad. You know, it's, it's nice that you're doing mission work. No, I love Wisconsin. Because is, is it all, isn't the weather tough? Yes, yeah, it's tough, you know, but the people are awesome. They're some of the most down-to-earth people on earth. And I absolutely love each and every one of you. And you're just real people. And I love this culture. And, uh, you know, I tell them, they say, what do you mean? I say, well, you know, up north, if they don't like you, they'll just tell you. <laughs> I don't like you. In the south, if they love you, they say, bless your heart. If they hate your guts, they say, bless your heart. 
If they're stabbing you in the back the whole time, bless your heart, praise the Lord. I mean, you never know, right? Because they say the right things. So I think I love this is everybody's just very real and down to earth. Uh, what I wish Christians, I'm just talking from a cultural thing here, because you're talking about the pattern of this world. Don't always take the bait to stupid issues, okay? Because you know, I was just watching on the news, you know, they had this big, uh, you know, as, as soon as the gay marriage thing, as soon as they got that, right? You think, okay, they'll be happy now, right? No! No! It's always going to be something else. Marry a chicken, a frog, a lizard, who knows what they're going to come up with. So the very next thing was the whole transgender thing, which represents how many people? I mean, it's so few. We actually have, I'm aware of two that come to celebration church. You don't know who they are. I'm glad they come. I haven't seen them for a while. But, uh, but I'm talking, a, a true transgender person, you, you can't tell. You can't tell. I'm talking to this dude, and finally, she said, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a woman from the waist down. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Because Looked like a dude to me. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so everybody got all freaked out about the transgender bathroom thing, right? Everybody's like, and some of you got all right on the right. Where's my wife? She's going to hit me. You know, because she, she was kind of into that too. You know, just stop. Don't take the bait. We're going to take a bait over stupid things. You know, so they, North Carolina, where the Bible Belt is, right? And the Christians all going to, so they got these laws. And now it's crazy. All these problems. At some point, stop taking the bait. They're going to try and get you to react to stuff all the time. So what are you going to do about it? I'm not going to do anything about it. It's like one-tenth of, one-hundredth of a thousandth of a percent amount of people in this country. So one or two pop in. How are you going to know? You're not going to know. I said, you know, what? We're going to have genital checkers at the doors here, for heaven's sakes? You know, I don't want a man. Well, the good, especially for the girls. You know, y'all got your little private little deals. You know, you go under, you close the door. How do you know what's going on in there? Anyway, I'm scissor. Take the bait on stupid stuff, you know? I just... <laughs> now, in one of our campus pastors' meetings, I said, well, what if there's a guy that comes in and he looks... He's trying to look like a woman, but you can tell it's a guy. You know, I said, well, get some of the girls to volunteer to take him shopping. <laughs> so at least he looks like a girl, right? Why do we care? But everybody's so mad about it. <laughs> don't write me. I don't want to hear what you think about that, okay? <laughs> this is a hypothetical. So what, what do you care? You know, it's a bathroom. You go in, you leave. At least guys do. I know women go in there and they talk. So I hear, I don't know, they go in groups. Let's go to the bathroom. Guys do not. When a guy goes in the bathroom, we don't talk to nobody. Most of you go, hi, hi. And you leave. You don't shake hands, you don't hug each other. Man, I'm just creepy, all right? You go in, you get the heck out of there. That's what we do, all right? We get out, now we can talk. But that's... Why am I talking about this? Anyway, <laughs> I, just, I just go in circles, right? So the point is, don't, be, don't let the world put you in patterns and stuff that you got to be reactive and don't start thinking like them and have patterns like, you know, I'll tell you one of the greatest patterns that we try to kick against because of what I do, you know, so much speaking and teaching on marriage and stuff is I am a big proponent on young marriage which makes me sound like a crazy person today because the pattern of this world has got everybody convinced they've got to wait till they're almost 30 before they get married, which is absurd. And the thing is, it's a relatively new concept. Right? 
30 years ago, nobody thought about stuff like that. When I got married, everybody got married at 18, 19, 20 years of age. Now you get married at 22, they're everybody, oh my gosh, you're so young. Really? Man, we, so the, we try and get into this thing. I've talked to Christian people who tell me, I don't, I don't want my kids to get married. I tell my kids, don't even think about getting married until you get your master's degree. I think, really? And then we wonder why our Christian kids are fornicating their little brains out. And we're creating porn addicts and all this other stuff. Why? Because they're going to find some way to find a release. You know what the answer is biblically? Get a wife. Get a husband. Then you don't need porn. Right? We're creating all these problems because we get caught up in the stupid of this culture. Don't let the culture of the world squeeze us into its pattern. Look, at some point, we are going to look different than they are. We're going to act different than they are. We're going to make different decisions than they are. We're going to have different priorities than they have. They might mock, yell, and scream. Some will be your relatives. You know? You get to your 19-year-old kid gets married and half your family will just have a heart attack and flip out. And then you can do a wedding funeral at the same time, save money. <laughs> you know? Just, just have, just, at some point, just let them vent. You know, just when they're done, so okay, great, you know. Just do like, don't think like them. Because the pattern that they want us to think, and that's just one example, in that area has created so much immorality in this country. That has gone out all because we got young men and women with hormones screaming through their bodies. And tell them they got to wait 15 years. Before they can do anything about it. It is absurd. It is insane. Now, some people, by nature, they don't get married. That's fine. You can do whatever you want. Stay single. Save yourself some grief. <laughs> but a lot of the single people I talk to, they're, they're looking at porn. They're masturbating. They're doing stuff they shouldn't be doing in the backseat of the car. Anyway, you know, well, that's not sex. Well, oral sex isn't sex. Yeah, it is. That's why it's called oral sex. And that's just one, I could go through the list, but I'll start getting you all vomiting and stuff, all right? Of all the stuff. And they think that oh, it doesn't matter because it's not, you know, intercourse. Stop! Why are they doing this stuff? Because they got to do something and they can't get married until they're 35. Amen. I just get myself mad, right? I just get myself in a fit for no reason. Anyway, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. By the way, you like my dress tonight? Uh, yeah, I, I, did not, I don't normally dress up like this for Wednesday night Bible studies. I just had to get a dress earlier this afternoon, and I didn't want to get dressed for the third time, so I stayed this way. So, and see, it is Christmassy, right? It's red and stuff, and I even got red in my shoes. And, yeah, bells, that's what I need. Bells on the shoes. Actually, I find this, you know, I told the story about how I got, in, oh, I'm out of control again. I told the story about how I got into shoes Sunday and stuff like that because I was so mad. I went and spent a bunch of money because my office was, it's a long story, don't ask. So, but, but this isn't part of this. I, I, these were like really cheap. It's almost costume jewelry. <laughs> Seriously, I got a whole bunch of, the, they're so cheap. They're just, if I show you, you just laugh. It's hysterical. And uh, they're made in, I don't know, some third world country. And when they came, they smelled so bad just from the glue. I mean, we could hardly breathe in the house. For two weeks, we had to sit them outside on the porch just to let the fumes get away. And then it finally dropped. And, then and they'll probably, you know, only last a little while before the cardboard starts flying off the thing. But, 
but I only went for a couple hours and I tell you, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I get away with it. Why am I talking about this? I don't know. Okay, so don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Okay, then what do we do? Be transformed. Yes, yes, Pastor, I want to be transformed. How can I be transformed? Pastor, can you pray for me? Will that transform me? Will you sprinkle me with pixie dust? Will that transform me? You know, if I do this certain dance, will, you know, how do I do it, Pastor? How do I, I'll tell you how you do it. You want to get transformed? Get transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to change the way you think. And that is the power of coming and hearing God's word in extended sessions like this every week. That's why people who do these sessions, I promise you, in a year from now, their life's gonna be better than it is today. The people in our church that will be filled with all kinds of grief, woes, and problems are the ones who are sitting home right now and they just don't come to this thing. They don't think they need to. And it's as predictable as the day is long. I tell them, but they don't listen. All right? At least you guys are listening. Why? Because you start to change the way you think. You got to get the thinking changed. People suffer from stinking thinking. And if you don't know, you don't know, right? A lot of us do things and we act a certain way. You don't until you all, all of a sudden you in the Bible. Oh, oh, I, wow, that's different. I shouldn't be this way or I need to be careful to do this, that, or the other. These things come to the forefront by teaching God's word. You want to truly get transformed in your life, you have to change the way you think. And I promise you, the people who do, in fact, have the greatest struggles in their life is because they are hardwired in their head to think stuff. That, some of them, it's not even their fault. I mean, they were raised in ways that was brutal, you know. Uh, borderline abusive, some of them were abusive, you know. Uh, I'm always amazed when I hear people say stuff like that, you know. Man, all I ever heard when I was growing up was, you know, you're never going to count to anything. You're just a loser and you're a disappointment and stuff like that. I just... I, I can't even relate. So we wonder why some people have a hard time growing in their faith. Man, they're trying to shut all that stuff off. The reason I can't relate is because I grew up in a home that they told us we were fabulous. Fab. My mother always told us, you can do anything because you're a gunker. You can do anything because you're a gunker. This was drilled. Every one of my brothers and sisters will tell you. We laugh about it hysterically. Because I was at least 35 before I realized I didn't mean anything. <laughs> but, but I didn't know. And where some of you guys, when you struggle in life, all you hear are these voices saying, you're a failure, you're always going to be disappointed, those things haunt you. All my life, whenever I struggled, I could still hear my mother just haunting in my head, you can do anything, you're a gunger. I don't know what that means, but okay. You know, and I just keep, because that's a positive thing, right? Some of you struggle from thinking because of the way you were raised and some of the experiences you have. I mean, some of you have gone through horrible things. I mean, terrible, you know? Uh, relationships, divorces and stuff. It's hard for you to even trust anybody now. Well, yeah, I get that. How do you fix it, Pastor? Well, there's no easy fix. There's no pixie dust. There's a, all you got to do is change the way you think. You got to start replacing all the icky caca in your head. Caca head, okay? Until you got Bible head instead of caca head. And you start thinking the right way. Seriously, this is what happens. People think crazy. And they're locked into these things. They lock into these things. And that's why some of you, even though you know you shouldn't do something, as soon as the right buttons get pushed, you'll jump right back to it. Some of y'all are going to do it as soon as all your relatives come over for Christmas, right? You know you're going to be a certain way. I know I'm going to be nice. But then you got that brother who knows how to drive you crazy, right? And he'll come over. And even though you're trying to be a good Christian, he starts pushing the right buttons. And you'll, frozen, shagging, frozen. And then you feel bad because you're screaming and cursing at your brother. And he laughs because he knows he can always get you to do that, right? Because of these hardwired situations in us, okay? Uh, that's why you need to change the way you think, okay? Some of you are acting bad. You get around the wrong people, you act badly. <laughs> I mean, I get it. You know, you're really a good, upstanding citizen. 
till you get around some of your relatives. And then pretty soon, you're a drunken monkey, you know, literally drunken. Yeah, you know, I shouldn't be drinking, but praise the Lord. You know, be, why? It's not that you're a bad person, it's that you're doing stuff you shouldn't because of the influence of everybody around you and stuff, because you still haven't really fixed this. Okay, it's okay to drink, you're just not supposed to get wasted, which is an unusual concept in Wisconsin. <laughs> I understand. I haven't drank anything yet. I can still stand. You know, no, no, you can drink not till you fall over. That's not the good part, okay? Anyway, so much of this. Change the way you think. Because then when you do that, you're changed. You're really changed. And I promise you, the more you learn the Bible and the more you change the way you think, the more transformed you are, the more different you are. You can literally tell how different your life has become based on how much you have learned by God's word in your life. All y'all can look back and just say, man, yeah, exactly. The more I learn, the more different I am. The more I learn, oh, I got to quit doing that. Oh, this is how I succeed. Da, da, da. Because you get in an environment where you start changing the way that you think. Then he says, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, let me spend a few minutes on this. Uh, the whole thing about God's will. God's will, I do not believe is as complicated as everybody makes it out to be. There is a huge portion of evangelical Christianity that is obsessed with this idea of doing the will of God and waiting for God to tell you what to do and waiting for the Lord to speak. There are thousands, thousands, probably, I don't know what that is, it's a huge number. It's got to be in the tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of Christians who never do anything because they've gotten so drilled in their head that you shouldn't do anything until God tells you to do it, which is patently absurd. So the reason they don't volunteer in church is, well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to tell me what to do. Don't be that way. Don't be like the crazy ones, okay? The crazy ones think that. That's what the Bible says, whatever your hand finds good to do, do it. What can you do? That's what you should do. I often tell people, they say, I don't know what to volunteer. I said, what thing would you hate to do the most? Do that one. Right? It's called sacrifice, right? Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, which is another thing, by the way. Your ministry in this church shouldn't just be something that you're so passionate about that it just trips your ego trigger constantly. You hear what I'm saying? You know, I love... I love to volunteer with kids because, you know, teenagers are my thing, and I just love teenagers, and it's the most important thing to me, to the point, because we've had this in the past, where people, they, they start to resent the pastor or resent anything else. And if I change anything in their area of ministry, they just come unglued and they leave the church in a fit because you mess with their little kingdom. Don't be thinking like that. We should be thinking, I'm going to serve. I'm just going to serve. It's not about my ego. He's going to be talking about this a little bit more in a minute. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. A little humble. Just, you know, if something changes, then go with the flow. Be a servant. Servants don't go around barking orders. Okay? Uh, we don't have servants, but, but you have employees and employees. If your boss tells you to do something a certain way, you pretty much should do it. I mean, you can have some input into it, right? You certainly can have input if, if, if we're doing something you don't like. But at some point, you just do it because you're the employee, right? I want us to make blue trucks instead of green trucks. Or you're, oh, I'm really committed to blue, and it's my ministry, and I, I'm not going to work here anymore. Well, you can quit, you know, that's what people do. I mean, it's, don't get so close to stuff that you can't, you know, be flexible about what you're doing. Uh, find something you can do, whatever it is that you can do, and just do it with all your heart. And he's going to give us some examples here in just a minute. 
the rate I'm going, we'll never get there. There's, there's always other Wendy's to come. That's the good news. Uh, but the whole thing about God's will, we don't have to wait for God to tell you to do something to do it. That is patently absurd. All right? Jesus gave us the blueprint of what we're supposed to do right here. All right? The Bible is very clear in the New Testament what you're supposed to do. We're going to be getting into this. And uh, it's very clear. Do we need to do this? This is the will of God. Be nice to people. Sacrifice. Serve. He's going to give, show different ways that you can serve. There are different things you can do. Love your neighbor. This is the will of God. It's not some mystery thing about exactly what little detail you should do about everything. Now, we say, well, what if God wants me to do something specifically? Well, then he'll let you know. Let me ask you a question. If you have children and you want them to do something, do you tell them or do you wait for them to come and seek your will? Right? Oh, Father. Oh, Father, I know thou workest so hard and down at the plant to give us a good job. You'll take care of us. And Oh, Father, I know you're very busy and I don't want to bother. But, Father, what wouldst thou have us to do this very day? You don't talk to your, your kids don't talk to you that way. You don't wait for them to come and beg for your input. You pretty much tell them what to do because it's your will. If you're an employer, do you sit around and wait for your employees to come and seek your will? No, you're paying them. I want you to do this. I don't, want, I don't care. Do it. All right? Anybody who has a will always communicates that will. Unless you're some women. Who get mad because your husband just can't figure it out all by himself. These tend to be very miserable women. Women who think, well, he should just know what should need to be done. I know y'all smoking, but stop it, okay? You want your husband to do something, you tell him. It's very clear. You want something from your wife, you tell. I preached a couple of weeks ago about reminding, right? Reminding is a good thing. People think reminding is an insult. It's not an insult. God himself set up things to remind himself. If God needs to be reminded, I think we can be reminded, okay? You want something from someone, you remind them. If you're married, you will spend the rest of your life reminding each other about what you want from them. Do you know why? Because they're not you. They're not you. Everybody's got that. I was talking to a guy the other day. I want these three specific things in my marriage. I can't get these. I said, dude, you're delusional. (laughs) Nobody just gets to say, I want these things. You know, because what he describes is he wants his wife to be like him. Right? We all want other people to be like us. Life would be so much easier. (laughs) But rather boring, I would think, at some point. Okay? For heaven's sakes, if you have a desire, a will, you communicate it, unless again, and I was picking on women, some men are the same way. There's men in their marriage or relationship. For someone, when you get to marriage, people get nuts. They just, they lose their minds. They think, oh, I should know. They should know what I need. You know, just get bigger, bitter for eight years and finally get divorced because of the person. Did you remind them? No, I didn't, I didn't think I should have to. You're crazy. You have to remind each other. It's your will. You want something, you ask for what you want. It's a very simple concept. You ask, I don't care who you are. It's with your kids, it's with your spouse, it's with your employees, anybody. That's what a will is. You know, the government has a will. They don't wait for us to figure out. They tell us. I want X amount of your income. (laughs) 
they don't wait for you to seek their face about it. They tell you. Everybody tells you. Now, Jesus once said, look, if you being evil know how to give good things to your kids, how much more would God do that? Well, that argument could be stretched out further. If you being evil, what he means, you know, we're not like God and we've got all our sins and stuff like that. If we as evil, people who struggle with sin, know how to clearly communicate our desires to others, why would God hide his will from you? Why? It doesn't make any sense. So well, in the Old Testament, they would seek the Lord. I get it. There's certain situations you're looking. And Paul, or James wrote, look, if you don't know what to do, ask God for wisdom, but ask in faith knowing that God will give it to you. God's not going to hold out on you. If you're working for your employer, you know, hey, what do you want us to do about such? That happens all the time, right? Hey, Mark, why do you want us to do such and such? Oh, we'll do such and such, you know. If you don't know, ask. And God will get, but this idea that God somehow is hiding his will from you and you got to beg and plead and cry and fast and pray for years before he shows you is absurd. God is not like that. Here's the other thing about God's will. God's will is not dependent on every little choice and decision you make. There's people who think this way. Maybe some of you think, well, I don't know. There's people who think, well, gee, if I make this wrong step, uh, I'll, I'll miss it and, and, and I'll ruin God's plan for my life, right? Should I work at Burger King or McDonald's? Should I do it? I can't decide because if I work at McDonald's and God meant me to work at Burger King and somehow that was going to lead to some great thing, about it, now I will lose it because I didn't make the right choice. There's people who think like this. Well, when it comes to marriage, people think like this all the time, right? You know, how long have you been dating? 14 years. <laughs> Why? How do you know it's the one? What? <laughs> what if I make the right choice? The wrong choice. What if I make the wrong choice? Everybody's just scared. If I make the wrong choice, my life is over. It is not like that. Okay? God has, here's God's will. Think of, you guys know how, you guys know how to play chess? You know how to play chess. Most of you know how to play chess. Or you got a rough idea of the, here's the idea about a chess game. It's really true of any game. Football game. People know more about football than chess, all right? The point is, get the ball from here over that line, the end zone. That's the plan. How we get there shows up in a million different ways. That's why it's entertaining to watch, right? You know, as soon as they lose two yards on a second and whatever, you know, ah, that's it. <laughs> it's over. I mean, it's just alcohol. Although you feel that way at times, right? Right? Playing the evil bears. Big bears fan here. Don't hate him. The evil bears are coming back in the fourth quarter, right? It's like, what are they doing? The Packers are falling asleep. What is this? This is insane. They're doing everything wrong. But as soon as they make one mistake, you know, oh, it's over. This is me. Now, it looked like it was over, right? And I think it was second or something. They lose yardage on some stupid play. I'm screaming, what a stupid play! <laughs> then Aaron goes back and he just chucks the ball up to eternity. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Yeah! You know, I <laughs> thought I was going to have a heart attack, for heaven's sakes! <laughs> I'm yelling, you idiot, you're a genius, oh my goodness. <laughs> now they throw a 60-yard pass. <coughs> but the point is to cross 
the end zone, right? That's, that's the, how you get it. And again, with the chess game. The chess game is to capture the, the, the king, the queen, the, which, the king. Real, real chess man myself, right? <laughs> Let's go to checkers. You want a job? To, okay. It's, it's to get the, the king, and there's a million variations of how you get there. Just because you make one bad move, it's not over. Just because you don't think that your, your life is just set so in stone, as soon as you make one decision, you should make, oh, now, God's will for my life is over, and I'm doomed, and I've, uh, I made a terrible. I've had people tell me this past, so I just, you know, I should have done something, I didn't, I did something else, or I, sh- I should have married that idiot, but I married the other idiot, now my life is over. And I was, no, stop! God's will is not that fragile. If it is that important for you to do something specifically, God will make that happen. Philip, in the, in the New Testament, right? He's sharing the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch. Baptizes the guy. Guy gets saved. God wanted him in another place. The only way to get him there is God literally just took him in. He's the first beam me up Scotty ever. He was literally transported. I mean, it must have been quite a, quite a shock. You know, one minute you're in Green Bay and all of a sudden, you're in San Francisco. That's a shocker, okay? And that's what he did. Woo, just exactly. Because God wanted him someplace. Okay. Say, God can do anything. If he wants you to, and again, he's a big boy. He knows how to communicate what he wants from you. You don't have to think he's holding out. He's not holding out on you. All right? Say, so, well, I don't hear a whole lot. Well, just do what you're supposed to do. Most of this stuff is just, quite frankly, your choice, which freaks a lot of Christians out. They, they don't think there's any choice involved. Again, because some of them are so locked in on this predestination thing. Everything's pre-figured out. They got to figure it out. Right? It's your choice. What do you mean? It's your choice. That's why there's a judgment day. You can choose to serve and help people, or you can choose to ignore people. It's pretty simple. If you choose to serve people, there'll be great blessings. If you choose to ignore people, there won't be great blessings. That's the day. We all, everybody will give account someday for what they did, the Bible says. In the flesh, the body. Not everything is a preordained thing or God wants you to do a certain thing. Just make, get God's word inside you, get wisdom inside you, and go out there and change your world. And if God has something specific for you, he will let you know. He's a very big boy. All right? And it's inconceivable he would be hiding his will from you. The whole point of preaching the gospel is to preach God's will. That's why we're doing what we do, to let you know what God wants from you. He's not hiding. It's everywhere. All right? Now let me throw this to also on this particular verse. There are a lot of people who, in my opinion, misquote or misapply part of this verse where it says, you'll be able to prove what God's will is. And notice, let me back up. You'll be able to what? Does it say? Where'd it go? Test, yeah. Bring your Bibles with you. It's easier. All right? You, you'll be able to test. What does that mean? You, you got to check it out. Oh, well that, well, that worked. Okay, cool. What do you mean test? I was just wait. There's no testing. If God just tells everybody what to do all the time, there's no test. Yeah, because he doesn't just tell everybody what to do all the time. You got to test. See what's working. Step out in faith. And a lot of times we'll see this, uh, we've already seen it in the book of Acts where you know, the first missionary journey that he took, the Lord spoke to him to go. The second and third, the Holy Spirit didn't say anything to him. They just went. Why? Because he told them to go. He, they knew the plan. We need to go everywhere. First time, he tell them. The other times. One time, he was going, 
I forget where he's going. He's going one direction. And he didn't, maybe it's over here. And uh, he didn't know which way to go and finally had a vision or something. And then that's where he went. So sometimes the Holy Spirit will show up to make things a little bit clearer. But not everything's this constant thing. So anyway, you test, you, you check it out and see and, and you make choices and see where God's blessings are. And then you'll be able to uh, prove his, his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There are people who have taught for many, many years that there's three versions of God's will. There's his good will, there's his pleasing will, and there's his perfect will. That, in my opinion, is bogus. That's not what it's saying. The good, pleasing, and perfect is referring to the one will. Here's how you know that because of the way he wrote it. Here's how you would write that sentence if there's three different wills. Then you'll be able to test and prove which of God's will is his good, pleasing, or perfect will. That's how that would say. So when people say, well, you know, I know it's not his perfect will, but maybe it's his good will. And, and they actually do this basically being disobedient, you know. I know the Lord wants me to do something, but I'm not going to do it. I'll do something else. That, that's not what he's saying. There's not three versions of God's will here, okay? There's the one will. What is uh, flexible is how he gets you across the finish line, how he captures the king, how you score the winning points, okay? How you get there. Uh, God's objective can be very clear, and most of it's very clear here, but sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a vision. It's, it's something God puts in your heart. Your end goal, is I, I really believe God wants me to be at such some place in my life. Here's the thing about when you get a picture like that inside of you, it's usually something that's a long way off. You know, and there's people who get discouraged because they don't have that fulfilled right away. And they're, you know, man, if you, I had a dream and I, I saw myself, you know, talking to, I, my story. I, I'm telling you, when I was 16 years old and gave my life to Jesus, I saw myself doing what I'm doing today. It didn't happen until I was 47 years old. <laughs> you know, at some point I thought, well, I, I guess I, I must have been mistaken. Because nobody let me talk to anybody. <laughs> Apparently, I was considered a little on the edge. All right? They loved to want to play the piano, the organ, I mean, the music part of it, or anything else, but nobody would give me an opportunity to preach and teach. So it took quite a while before this. Started. And now, I, you know, I started doing this, and it's like, and I think about it a lot. I enjoy it, because so, now I'm finally realizing the picture that got put in my heart a long time ago. Don't get frustrated if you get a picture in your heart and it takes you 40 years <laughs> before it happens. You know, it is what it is. I mean, I don't know. It's, anyway, God knows how to get you across the finish line. His will isn't so fragile that if you take the bishop instead of the rook, it's over. There's all kinds of ways to move the chess pieces to get to the end. And God, that's where he said earlier, God is able to make all things work together for good to those who love him. All right? Embrace God's will. Be passionate about it. Have spiritual fervor for it. Uh, you don't need to fear it. All right? All right, so he says, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, which is hard not to because we all think our ideas are brilliant. Right? Or why would you think them? I'm convinced everything I think is right because I thought it. Why would I intentionally think something is wrong? Well, I've been around long enough. I know that a great many things I think don't turn out right at all. The older you get, 
the more of a reality check you get. The younger you are, the more convinced you're a brilliant person. You know, it's like, you know, when you're, when you're 13, 14, 15, your parents are the dumbest people in the world. There couldn't possibly be dumber people. Uh, just, uh, and then by the time you're 25, you think, man, these guys were really smart. You know, because they seem to know. The older you get, you start, my parents weren't nearly as dumb as I thought they were. Okay, that's just called wisdom. Don't be arrogant. It's e- everybody gets very strong opinions about what they think or they wouldn't think it. Just because you think it and feel it doesn't mean you have to push it in everybody else's face. At some point, you always have to remind yourself you could be wrong. It's called humility. I could be wrong. I think, we talk about this in our, you know, I think we should do this, but we, we discuss it with everybody and, you know, the presbytery of the church, the decisions we make, you know, we're, we're very careful to make sure we're hearing everybody's point of view and, and uh, there's times where I walk out thinking something different than I did going in, you know. <laughs> My son Philip's great at that. Nobody can manipulate me manipulate me like my son Philip he is a very gifted young man <laughs> he is actually my life is better because he's a smart kid you know but I will walk into his office convinced we're going to do A there's no way I'm not letting him talk me into B we are doing A there's a, I, I go in I know it's A 10 minutes I walk out you know B was really a better idea you know I, I don't know how he does it but I, his smart thing is he always lets me vent. He never responds. He just, uh, and then once he, I, get, I get it out, then he starts, well, Dad, here's what you need to think about. <laughs> I shouldn't say manipulate, but <laughs> boy, nobody can turn me like he is. <laughs> Every time I go in, it's a quest. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I walk out, doggone it, we're going to do this because I didn't see that before, you know. <laughs> anyway, just be a little more, more humble. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, right? We got all to do. We're one body, but you got an eye, you got ear, you got, some of us have hair, some don't, you know, toes and, you know, all the other things. These members don't all have the same function. They don't all do the same thing, but they're part of one body. We all belong to each other. We're part of the body of Christ, okay? Don't think I don't need that person. I don't need that. That's a bad attitude to have. We need, you know, we do need each other. We're all part of one body. But we don't do the same thing. We're not going to think the same way. The nose has a whole different outlook on life than the toe. Right? The toe sometimes really wonders if the eyes are paying attention. Right? Because you just stub the stupid thing. Those guys up there are stupid. You couldn't see that rock? I don't think they know what they're doing. Right? This is your life, right? The pastor, he's a moron. How could he not see that? I don't know. He didn't see it. You know, not everybody sees it. Everybody's going to have a different perspective. Uh, so we, in, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have differing gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the, this is the Nike paragraph. Just do it! 
not that's not that complicated, right? Paul's saying, well, I think, I think, I think this is what I should be doing. Then do it. Well, I haven't had a vision from angels yet. Just shut up and do it. Well, I think I should be an encourager. Okay, then encourage. One way you can test, right? You test God's will. Sometimes people feel, you know, they, they get different ideas in their heads. Sometimes it's good to listen to others. You know, I, I remember a guy coming to me and said, boy, I just, I just feel like God has called me to work with teenagers. I said, really? He said, yeah, I just, I, I just know what God's called me to do. I said, do you work with teenagers now? No. Do you ever spend any time with teenagers? No, not really. <laughs> Has anyone ever asked you to help them with the teenagers? No, not a one. I said, I don't think maybe you're reading this quite right. Right? It's like the guy, I'm sitting there, counseling him and his wife. He's like, psychotic. The stories I hear, you have no idea. So in a way, he's whining about his own children. Now I get it, we all have children. You, you know, you have visions of, okay, but... <laughs> But, I mean, he's a little nuts. He's, he's, he, like, he resents their very existence. He's supposed to be this very devout Christian. I mean, he's just, what? Well, yeah, it's just, you know, my, my life's so kind of messed up since those kids came. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to parenthood. <laughs> Whee! Now we're going another direction. Get aboard the crazy train. All aboard. Okay, you're a parent now. <laughs> Man, the things change. I tell you, God must have such a sense of humor because girls, when girls are teenagers, everything is gross. Everything's gross. Dad, that's gross. The peas and the carrots are touching. That's so gross. That's so gross. You know what I'm and then they become mothers and then they do things that would make a sailor vomit. <laughs> right? The kid has a runny nose and just take their hand and go, oh, get your wife and like, you know, or just vomit and it's, you know, and there's poop everywhere and, it, and I'm going, running and I'm like, oh, quit being a baby and my wife's cleaning everything else. How does that happen? The peas and the carrots touched earlier, you thought you were going to die. Now you got snot and poop and everything else, it doesn't face them at all. So anyway, Parenting, yeah, the whole world changes. Everything changes. And he's just one. I'm thinking, ah, you know, because I'm, I'm supposed to be nice. And I just want to punch him, okay? And I, I you know, and I know that's, that's probably not right. Because I read here somewhere, don't punch, don't punch people in the face. That's probably not a good thing, right? I, I don't know about predestination, but I know you're not supposed to punch people. But, but I want to punch him. You big jerk, what, what the heck? And, and, and he said, well, I, I just feel like the kids have robbed me from my ministry and the purpose that God's called me to. And I'm thinking, then why'd you get married? And why'd you have babies? I mean, is, nobody forced you to do this. I'm not saying, I'm thinking it. I'm trying to be nice. He said, I just feel like it's just robbed me of my ministry. He says, so what ministry is that? He says, I just, I feel like I need to minister to small children. And then I lost it. What? You can't stand your own children be 
because it interferes with your calling to go minister to small children. Have you lost your mind? Ah, what an idiot. Just, you know, and I just look at the wife and think, you know, you, you could shoot him and no one would, would prosecute you, you know. Just, just get, get a good attorney, you know. No one's, no one's gonna listen to that. Not guilty, not guilty. Move on, next, next. Just, sometimes you gotta test, test God's will. This, this guy flunked the test, okay? <laughs> I'm not making this up. You can't make up this stuff. Seriously. What really makes it funny is it's real. <sighs> okay, I got to shut up. Time's up. All right? The reality is don't make the will of God a mystery. It's not a mystery. Well, I think I should do something. Then go do it. Well, I kind of want to help. Then go do it. Well, I think maybe I'm, I'm an encourager. Then go do it. Whatever it is, he says, whatever you think you got, go do it. Because it's in the doing it that you start testing. And maybe God really blesses you in that, and then you find out, you know, I don't really like this, and I'm not any good at it, and then you find something other place. You know, just keep doing. Keep doing in love and be kind and be patient and be more concerned about other people than you are yourself. Don't be so full of your own thoughts that you're the smartest person in the world and just... Anyway, and this, this is great because it just goes, it's such practical Christianity, just practical Christianity. I love this part because I can understand it. All right, now next Wednesday, we're not here. You can come, but no one will be here. All right? <laughs> there won't be police trying to keep you off the property. You can come if you want, but no Bible study. So next year sometime, Two Wednesday nights, where we'll pick it up from here and we'll continue as we start to read how Paul talks about how love needs to be in action. Make it work. You love people, you can tell you love people by what they do, not just by what they say. If I love you, but I don't want to spend any time with you, that's not good. <laughs> right? If I love my children, wish they didn't exist, that's not a good father. All right? All right, let's end in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us to grow from your truth. Help us to become people full of wisdom and knowledge and insights so that we can go out there and just change the world in which we live and just splash God everywhere. Help us, Lord, to be like these obnoxious kids by a pool and <laughs> feel obsessed to get everybody wet as far as they can see. Help us to be like that with the kingdom. Just everywhere, splash them. Splash them with the love of God. Splash them with kindness. Splash them with consideration. And help us, Lord, uh, as we uh, go into these holidays now, uh, a lot of time with uh, outlaws, in-laws, all kinds of stuff, and, and people that we don't see a lot, and usually that's on purpose. But we see them once a year, oh Lord. Help us to be kind, even if someone's not being kind to us. Help us to avoid discussion about politics. <laughs> help, us, help us just to love and to be kind, even when somebody disagrees with us. Help us to just to love people. Keep everybody safe. I know a lot of people are traveling, Father. Keep them as all as they go around and, and uh, so that everybody will come back safely again, we pray. And bless this Saturday night, Christmas Eve. That'll be a really some wonderful, wonderful experiences for people. Some people will be coming to church for the first time in forever. Help us to clearly communicate this wonderful Jesus that we all love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Don't